Well, hey, I'm Jack, and uh, once again, welcome to worship. It's good to see faces that we haven't seen, and so I am glad you're able to re-engage and um, be here. And um, I was just telling John, it's really great to do this in person this year. Not that doing church online, if you're online right now, is less significant, but um, it was, I'm recognizing a... uh, Last year, being online, doing Advent readings, things like that, just a miss. You miss out on the the power of a congregation. And so gathering together and being a part of this moment, you just can't replace that. So grateful that you're here and uh, good to do this together. If you were online, if you were with us last week at Green Lake or if you're online there, you noticed that we're, we're doing the same reading today as we did last week. Uh, we're looking at the story of Mary and it's called the Magnificat. Um, I kind of felt like that, not all of us were there, but also that there's more in that story for us. So pardon repeating. I hope there's some themes. If you were there last week or you heard Scott Erickson's sermon that aren't repetitive, but, um, I'd like to take us through that story one more time and then we'll move to, toward the, the next story in, in Christmas. So, but let's take a moment to pray. God, thank you for your word that is alive to us, that even as we have a sermon that's on the same word two weeks in a row, God, that your, your spirit brings life to that word, that there's, and it's been thousands of years that we've been living with this word. And so we thank you that we can open a word this ancient and that your spirit is doing work, that your spirit is um, revealing, bringing light to it, revealing places in our hearts even, God, where we need to hear something new. And so for any of us, God, in the room where that is true, where there's a word that we need, God, would you speak this morning? Would you use me as a, a servant of that speaking, us as listeners? God, would we re- be receptive of what you have to say? Yeah, God, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of our mouths be pleasing and honoring to you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I recently uh, read that in the Dominican order of the Catholic tradition, I know there's a few Catholics in the room. I went to Catholic school all the way to high school, so I have some kind of latent Catholicism in me, and I really appreciate the Catholic tradition. There are what are known as four great mysteries in the life of Jesus. There's the, um, these are sort of meditations on Jesus' life, if you will, that provide structure for prayer and teaching and the spiritual um, spirituality, Dominican spirituality. So for the inquisitive, these are the mysteries, the joyful mysteries, which include the season we're in right now that surrounds Jesus' birth that we celebrate during Advent and Christmas, the sorrowful, sorrowful mysteries, which include the events surrounding his death and, and crucifixion, all of his suffering, the glorious mysteries, which include his resurrection and ascension that we come to during Lent and, or I'm sorry, during Easter, and then finally, these luminous mysteries, which are the mysteries of his baptism and transfiguration. Um, and, and which is to say, that it, within the Dominican order, and this may be true in other uh, families of Christianity, Christianity, the Christian faith, is really just one great mystery. I mean, that's most of Jesus' life right there I just described. Carl Rayner, I put this quote in your bulletins this morning. He's considered one of the most influential Catholic theologians of the 20th century. He's actually a Jesuit, not a Dominican, but it's okay. He said that if God's incomprehensibility does not grip us in a word, if it does not draw us into his super luminous darkness, if it does not call us out of our li- the little house of our homely, close-hugged truths, we've misunderstood the words of Christianity. For they all speak of the unknown God who only reveals to give himself as an abiding mystery. 
I mean, we've missed, many times as we come to Christmas, we've misunderstood Christianity. We've kind of wrapped Jesus into a manger, put him under the tree. Not to say if you've done that, we were talking about doing that last night, that you've, you've done some sort of bad thing, but we've kind of contained a mysterious and infinite God into a story that I think God might say, huh, do you, do you really know what this is really about? And I, obscure, I share this, maybe it's a bit of an obscure insight with you, because as we study the Annunciation, this is part of one of those four great mysteries that I mentioned. This word literally means announcement, in where we learn about Mary's encounter with Gabriel, who's one of the angels, where she, it's revealed to her that she's going to conceive, bear a son. He's going to become this long-awaited king of Israel. Um, the Annunciation, it's one of those mysteries of faith. It's not, it's, it's not something that we're, we're supposed to easily understand. Um, we, we learn that Mary is a virgin. She's a commoner. She's not royalty. She's barely a teenager. She's 14, so history says. And, and she says, how can this be? Like, how can any of this be? I don't think this is a retort on her part. I think it's just her saying, this is a mystery. I do not understand. And that's such an important way, I think, for us to, entry point for us to, under, to come into this story and this encounter and really the season of Advent and Christmas is because, because we live in a culture, if you think of yourselves now in the 21st century, that has been utterly stripped of mystery. A culture that's void of mystery and wonder. Like, this is true of many of our Christmas experiences. We've relegated Mary alongside Jesus in a wooden manger sitting under your Christmas trees. There's more iconography out there for Santa than there is for Mary right now. I have this old Christmas card that has uh, Jesus and Santa boxing. And I got it from, uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you've seen this. And so I think most people would side with Santa these days because Santa gives better presents, right? Uh, And so we strip the season of mystery, and it's true of our daily lives. We can Google nearly anything. You can go to Siri or whatever device you use and ask, literally, I did this this week just to check to see if it could happen, is virgin birth possible? And Siri will give you an answer. She will. Try it. (laughs) You'll get any number of answers for any number of the questions, most trivial or most perplexing questions you might be wrestling with right now. Our society, our culture is void of mystery. This tends to also be true of our wider culture, where there's this deep skepticism and mistrust that has been handed down to us by our politicians and by our leaders and by our parents and our grandparents. A mistrust that's quite frankly led to a failure of our own imaginations. We can't believe these kinds of things are possible. As the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, the lack of mystery in our modern life is our downfall and our poverty. We destroy mystery because we sense that here we reach the boundary of our being and we want to be Lord of everything. And mystery does not allow you to do that. And then he goes on to say that living without mystery means knowing nothing of the mystery in our own lives, nothing of the mystery in another person, Nothing of the mystery of the world. It means passing over even the hidden qualities in others. It means remaining on the surface. It means taking the world seriously only to the extent that it can be calculated and exploited and not going beyond the world of calculation and exploitation. It means living without mystery means not seeing the crucial processes processes of life at all, even denying them. We live in a culture that is void of mystery. We don't like mystery. We might like mystery novels, but we don't like living without answers to our most perplexing questions. 
And it's this awareness that, I, that we live in a, a sort of spiritual poverty because of the lack of mystery in our lives, as well as this understanding that Christianity, and particularly the Christmas story that we're in, is intended to be mysterious. We're not intended to come to conclusions or answers, if you will. Uh, there are things in this story that are messy. Birth is messy. Anybody who's, and most of you, a lot of you have, been part of a birth story. It's untidy. It's dark. It's even hidden in some ways. It can't be easily wrapped up and put under a tree, right? And so it's in that sense and from that posture, I just want to invite us to come into this text, this announcement, the initiation with fresh ears and fresh eyes and ask, what's here that perhaps we haven't seen or haven't heard yet? Um, and ask, God, what, what do you have to say, like I prayed earlier, for us, for me this morning, that I might be changed in some small way even? What would it like for us to be here, this announcement spoken to a 14-year-old girl from the ancient Near East, a Jewish girl, and hear it how she first heard it? Think of this. Some of you have 14-year-old girls, or you have a 14-year-old in your life, and you know that if they were told that they were pregnant, you know how that would utterly shake them. I don't think it's any different then than it is now. Um, and so to that end, I just want to, I don't know why I'm a little weepy today, but I have a tissue to solve that. So <laughs> to that end, I just want to organize our thinking around this, this text under two headings, two simple things. What is it that Mary heard? And then how did Mary respond? That's it. I want to ask, how did Mary hear this? What's the message she heard? And then what, what response did she give? That's it, okay? And then from that, my hope is that we might, like, freshly respond ourselves in some new way. That we might encounter this mystery and then respond to the mystery in a, a meaningful way, perhaps this week, perhaps today. We'll see. So first, what did Mary hear? Uh, a, a friend kind of used this illustration once, and he, he shared with me the, that this, you know, this old telephone game that we used to play, um, where you pass that message around a circle or down a line, and, and it gets changed. Um, this, we, we tend to play that game with texts like this in the 21st century. You know, we, we ha- we, and we have to be careful that we, we think we understand what Mary heard. We've been around the Christmas story most of our, all of our lives. We have all the art we have the movies. We have all the good, good things. But we have to be careful because the transmission of information over multiple generations like this, 21, 30, I don't know how many, I don't count generations, some probably vastly off, but many generations, will dis, if it's like that game, it will distort the message in, to a great degree. Uh, Merry Christmas becomes Harry Moose or something like that. I mean, we do not understand how deeply distorted this message could be. And so we can't make assumptions based on our judgments based on our own assumptions. We have to do work to get back into the shoes of this young girl. So what did Mary hear? And, and so look at the text. First thing that Gabriel says to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. We'll pass over this off the time because we think this is just a way to say, hi, how are you today? Good to see you. What'd you have for breakfast? I mean, uh, formalities. And, and greetings is some of that customary kind of way in which people would engage in that time, but highly favored is not. <laughs> and let me tell you a little bit about that. That word, it's a, it's a compound word, highly favored, only occurs in two places in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament, here in Ephesians 1 verse 6. Paul writes this in Ephesians 1 verse 6. 
He says that God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us. There's the word, highly favored, freely given us in the one he loves. Okay, now that's a mouthful. But the word to be favored, greetings favored one, or as Paul says, to freely give, the key here is it's a word that's derived from the Greek word grace, charis. And that's important because in the New Testament, and this is really important for us because we just toss grace around all the time, grace is reserved solely for divine acts. Grace is the domain of God's work. God does grace, you might say. God is grace. And in that way, this word, it carries a sort of holy meaning for Mary, a sort of sacred moment. This is a sacred moment. This is the angel saying, Mary, you are favored with grace. Uh, Mary's not earning God's favor. If she ever thought that, like, you know, Gideon, in this unusual address, she's receiving this blessing that God's grace is already upon her. Kathleen Norris, in this book called Amazing Grace, uh, years ago she wrote about this, this greeting. She once heard a friend of hers who's a, a, a pastor of a native a Sioux congregation down in the Midwest talk about this, this, uh, this story. And this friend shared with her that the first thing that Gabriel does when he encounters Mary is give her a new name. This is really a naming ceremony. Most favored one is a new name, daughter of grace. Grace, your name is Grace. And Norris goes on to re- remark that this moment was perhaps a key moment in Mary's life because maybe perhaps most of her life she'd been told, you have to think, 14 from a very small town, uh, not a royal family, probably poor. She might have, she's probably been told her whole life that she's nothing. I once heard somebody describe Mary as a, noth- a nobody from nowhere, a nowhere town that had nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And perhaps Mary had internalized that message so deeply that it just became her identity. I'm, not, I'm nobody. I'm not going to really amount to any, anything in life. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to become somebody. And that becomes an identity. And yet here's this angel. First thing the angel does, greetings, favored one. Your name is Grace. Perhaps this is a way for the angel to say, God, we want her to discover a deeper truth about herself, a deeper identity, a reality, a mystery, if you will again, about her, a potential in her for salvation. And so the question really becomes at the front of this for us is what names have you been called? We all get called names, and I'm not, I'm not talking just about playground names. Um, we're all carrying around identities right now. And those have become, those messages have become who we are. They could be, they could be setting the tone for your life right now. They could be good things. They could also be things that are deeply destructive. What, I mean, what might God be wanting to speak over your life right now in this moment? How might God be wanting, uh, wanting to give you a new vision for your life uh, and print you with a new identity? An identity that's defined by God's grace. You know, there's, like I said, there's so many names that are defining us at this very moment that have become destructive to the holy, sacred, and gracious identity of God in us that only God can give us, unworthy of love and affection, merely a collection of my mistakes and my failures and my shortcomings, one whose voice just doesn't matter that much, 
one whose experiences are not that significant. I don't have good stories to tell. I could never get up here with the mic and tell you anything of significance. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who's uh, written a book like about this, it's called Life of the Beloved. He once wrote about this struggle to hear and to receive grace as our truest identity. Here's what he says. He said there's three movements you have to move, make to tune in to this, this truth being spoken in your life, that you are beloved. He says, first, he says, the world tells you so many lies about who you are. Uh, you have to be realistic enough on a daily basis to remind yourself that those are lies. Those are not true, which is a way of saying every time you feel hurt, offended, rejected, you're going to feel it today. You have to stop and have the courage to say to yourself, though that feeling is strong, <laughs> uh, it's not the truth about me. It's not my deepest truth. The truth, the deepest truth, even though I may not feel it in this very moment, is that I'm chosen, a chosen child of God. I'm precious in God's eyes. I'm called the beloved from all eternity, and I'm safe in an everlasting and brave. That's the truth, and you have to claim that each and every day in moments, each in moments of the day, because people speak lies, and we speak lies to ourselves throughout the day. Here's the second thing. We have to choose to keep choosing people in places where true, that truth is spoken to us where we're reminded of our deep identity, places like this place. You want a reason to come to church on Sunday? I'm giving it to you. This community, these kinds of gatherings matter. And what's more, we need to choose to be people in places that speak truth. Uh, there are many places in our society where lies are being spoken. And so we are, we are called to be truth tellers. Silas preached on this a few weeks ago. We're called to go out into the world and proclaim truth. And that's just not about, you know, well, here's what the Bible says. Let me tell you the truth. That's about seeing people as chosen, beloved creatures created by God. And when you encounter somebody who's experiencing rejection, marginalization, to reject those lies, to come in and see a deeper identity that God's given this, these, this person, and to have the boldness, the courage to speak that identity in, to speak truth. It could be a coworker. It could be somebody wandering the streets. It could be a friend. But we're going to encounter people, and we need to choose to have the courage to speak that truth. Here's the last thing Nowen says. And I think I love this one because uh, Jason kind of prayed out of this space earlier. We have to celebrate our chosenness constantly, and that means saying thank you. That's it. You want a way, a key way to come in touch with your own identity. That's, it's just those two words, thank you, God. Many times, a variety of ways, multiple times a day, thank you, God, for choosing me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving my faults. Thanks for forgiving my sins and my failures. Thanks for healing me. Thanks for rescuing me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to challenge us today, sometime today, to sit down and just say thank you. It may not be to another person. It might just be a sacred moment between you and God and to rest in who you are because of that experience of gratitude. Gratitude, now, it says, is the most fruitful way of deepening your awareness that you are not an accident, that you are divine choice. That's it. Grat the practice of gratitude will root you in your own sense of who you are. So that's the first thing we need, we need to learn from Mary here, this sort of reframing of our identity. Here's the second thing. After greeting her, Gabriel goes on, right? And he reveals that she's going to bear this son and that she's actually pregnant right now with this son. And, and that he's not any old son. 
that he's going to be this Messiah, this long-awaited king of Israel. And he wasn't just going to be a king who's going to sit on this throne for 20 years or 40 years or 60 years, however long kings reigned in those days, but forever. He's going to be the king of peace and justice and truth that Isaiah talks about, all the prophets talk about. That's going to be her son. <laughs> and of course, she responds the way any of us would respond incredulously, like, what? Uh, can I get another angel? Because this one's a little whack, you know, and I do not like what he's saying. But also because she's not yet married to Joseph. They have not been sexually active. And so this is not adding up, right? Which is why Gabriel then goes on to respond in verse 35, that it's possible. (laughs) Even though you don't think it's possible, Mary, and here's why. Verse 35, because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I want to key on that word. So that, because of that overshadowing, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The key here is the sense of overshadowing. And that's significant because that is also a very peculiar word. Uh, you want a peculiar text, it's here. Very peculiar words. That word, epischiazo, I can't even say it, uh, it's this Greek word to envelop like an envelope, to overshadow as in our translation, like a, a shadow to come upon you if you ever had that happen to you and you're covered in shadow. And here's the, here's the key. Mary had a Bible. It's called the Septuagint. Uh, it's an, a Greek translation of the Old Testament that, uh, you know, Roman Empire, everybody spoke Greek. And so they have their Bibles in Greek now, not in Hebrew. And that word, episkiazo, only occurs in the Bible she had, two places as well. (laughs) One of them's here. Well, actually, this is our Bible, so never mind. One other place. (laughs) Two for us, Exodus chapter 40, which is this place where Moses builds this tabernacle in the wilderness. The Israelites are wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years. They need a place for gathering like we have, for prayer and worship and all the things. And so they create this tent and it's carefully constructed tent, goes on for chapter after chapter, the construction of it, and then it ends in chapter 40. And perhaps you don't, you've heard the story. You have images, right? But you maybe don't know how it ended. Here's how it ends. Moses finishes the tabernacle, so it can be used. Exodus 40, 35. Not how I would have expected this to end. He can't enter it. They can't use it. Do you know why? Because the glory of the Lord had entered it, a cloud had settled on it, and it filled it. Epischiazo. So nobody else could. The tabernacle was overshadowed. It was filled. The very presence of God had filled that place. And see here, Mary would have known that story. She was a, a good church-going girl. She would have gotten this lesson in her Sunday school class. And, and so here she is. This angel speaking directly to her the same word. She's like, I know this story. <laughs> And he's saying to her unambiguously, the same holy presence, because it's only been used one other time, episkiazo, the same holy presence that came upon the tabernacle for Israel, your people, these, these ancestors of yours, it's going to fill your womb. Like Moses, who's, you know, a hero to her, came before her, and so many of the old characters in the Bible Little Mary, (laughs) insignificant, unimportant, is now this recipient of God's overwhelming, all-encompassing presence. 
presence that's literally inhabiting her life at that moment. Like I said, this is a mystery. The finite in the infinite being woven together in a womb like this. It's not intended to be something we can easily explain in a flannel graph or a manger scene, understand it. Or e- We're called to behold it. Like, huh, that's interesting <laughs> that that could happen. I'm not sure I get it. I'm not sure I even believe it. Sky Erickson, who I mentioned earlier, uh, Scott the painter, visited Green Lake and has this book called Honest Advent and sitting over there on my chair, preached on this text last week. Um, he has these powerful images. Go ahead and throw that image up. This is one of the images in the book. Uh, and just leave it up during this time. This is one of his images, and you can kind of reflect on it as I'm talking. He, he captures this idea of overshadowing in this book in this way. He says that your transformation throughout your life will be a mystery. Parts of which are going to be like virgin birth. In the way that you're caught... You're, excuse me, I must have mistyped that. <laughs> in the way that you're not in charge of it. Let me start over this quote, okay? <laughs> your transformation throughout your life will be a mystery, parts of which are like virgin birth. In the way that you're not in charge of it. It's less about your mustering up the strength to accomplish something and more about your being open to the transformation that God wants to do in you. Birth is transformation. That's what it is. And God wants to do something in Mary and you. It begins with quietly and deeply in you, he goes on to say, a divine inception in the deepest place where your truest life is birthed. A divine, I love that, a divine inception in the deepest place where your truest life is birthed. Many of you are in very deep places right now. And and God is saying, I want to go even deeper. I want to go into a deeper place that you might not even recognize right now, or you might not even see or understand, and I want to birth something in you. I love that idea of transformation, because that's what I want, and that's what I believe all of you want. I want that for you. Healing, renewal, an opening up of our lives after more than a year of what feels like closure, body, soul, and spirit. I want my life to open up and be in relationship and experience joy in my call and experience excitement about what I'm doing in the world. I know all of you do too. What, what part of God's mystery are you in the midst of right now? What, where's that deep place right now for you? And see, the reality is that God is at work in that place, and He wants to bring change, and He wants to birth something new. And you might not yet know that, what it is. You might not need to know. God's going to bring something Mary doesn't get to choose the gender of this child, the name of this child, the timing of this child. It's all God. It's so deep, just like birth. It could be a sense of shift in your sense of call. Uh, You've been discovering things in work this year that ah, just maybe need to change. It could be a redefinition in your sense of values and priorities. You know, as those have been shaken up, over the year. It could be as we collectively or you individually confront difficult truths about our society or even in the church, and you're starting to discover in theology and in God's heart and hearing this invitation to move in a new direction. It could be a relationship. 
that through this past year has been shaken and challenged, and you just know, you know that you know that you know you have to reinvest in this. It could be your marriage, your children. It could be a, a friend that's grown distant. There are so many ways in each of our lives that God wants to cause transformation. Let's not miss it this Christmas. Let's not just go through all the motions, come to the end, December 31st, whenever your Christmas decorations come down, box them up and do it over again next year. Let's let God do something. The infinite God, the creator of heaven and earth, wants to overshadow your life and be present in a new way today and to fill your life and and invite you into this participation with Christ today. So that's the second thing. God's about bringing about transformation. Here's the last thing, real quickly. Mary's response, okay? So Mary heard some things, and I love that Mary immediately responds. Look how she responds, verse 38. This famous declaration of faith. May your word to me be fulfilled. I love that. It's because partially because I know I wouldn't have said it. I love that somebody said it for me. This 14-year-old girl gives me hope. I can, I too can say yes. I don't think we give Mary enough credit. She is certainly not the credit she deserves. Um, I think we put her in this box, like I said. We relegate her to the manger or classical artwork scenes. This halo's over her head. She's the mother of God. Of course she said that. <laughs> but think about this. Think what's going through her mind in this moment. What emotions and what thoughts. Like I said, she's 14, and some of us have 14-year-olds. And all of us, or you, you were once 14, <laughs> and all of us know this. You've been in situations like this. There's going to be talk. She knows what it's like to be, mar- to, to be married and to five months later have a child. They're not so regressive they don't know it's nine months in the womb. They know this. We're not so advanced that we think we figured it out. They, she knows that people are going to, what they're going to say, how they're going to talk, how, how they're going to, likely, there's going to be shame on her family. How nobody's going to believe this story that she saw an angel. Uh, she's going to be cast out from her community, from her family, perhaps by her husband. She doesn't know that this angel's also visited her husband. She's going to maybe live isolated for the rest of her life. She understands in this moment. Remember, she says this thing immediately. She understands that her son is going to be marked as an illegitimate person in that society for the rest of his life. So what if he's the son of God? She's not naive, is what I'm trying to say, to the gravity of the situation. She's, and she's bearing all this weight in that moment. And in this moment, there's fear, there's estrangement, there's isolation, there's, there's expulsion, all this stuff coming upon her. And in the midst of that, listen to this, she looks it all in the face and has the courage to say yes. Yeah. May your word to me be fulfilled. I love that. I don't love it because I think it's a, wow, that makes a good movie. I love it because that's faith. And that's the life of faith. And that's the faith we're called to. Lori Sheck, who is this poet that I shared a poem from earlier this week in our our e-news. A little plug, if you're not getting it, talk to me. I'll help you get started again. We have issues. Okay, done. Uh, she says this about this moment. 
This is the honest grace of Mary's body, that she is afraid and in this moment does not hide her fear. This is honest grace. That's what this is. This is not passive, meek, mild Mary, mother of God. This is a faith of a courageous young woman who's grappled and wrestled and confronted the reality of her life and is facing that fear and saying, yes, may your word to me be fulfilled. May it happen. May I do it. This word fulfilled is such a rich word. I mean, it can mean to come into existence, to be born. She could be saying that. It could mean to be disclosed. Many people know this. May we not hide it. It can mean to be done, to be finished, to be completed. May your word find its completion, its teleos. May it find its fullest flourishing. May I be truly the mother of God. May I become this, this new call. Think of all the things Mary's saying. May your word be born in my life. I want to give birth to your word. Do you want to give birth to the word of God? I mean, that's an amazing thing to say. May your word be revealed. I mean, might my life truly express the life and the character and the person of Jesus in my thoughts, in my actions, in my relationships? May your word be completed. Might that expression become a sustaining force through me, that your will might be done, your kingdom come in my life, in our lives, on earth, just as in heaven. Think of all the things she's saying. God is inviting us to say yes right now. God's giving you permission through Mary to say yes to whatever it is you're confronting. To say, God, I take my hands off my life. I've been holding on tight this year. And uh, I'm letting go. <laughs> I, I want to welcome you in. I, I want to follow you. I want to accept you in any way, shape, or form that you want to come into my life. I surrender whatever cost that is to my family. Wherever you call me to go, I go. Whatever suffering might come in my life, I accept it. Have you, have you done that? I love what Jason said. This is an opportunity, Advent, is to reset our lives. To, it's the beginning of the Christian year. In, in liturgical terms, to reset to the New Year doesn't start January 1st for us as followers of Christ. It, started, it starts today. That's what Christmas is about, to say yes to God. I was reminded of, and I'll invite our worship team back up. I was reminded of this great verse from 2 Corinthians 12 this week where Paul was being confronted with this radical invitation to surrender to say yes, to let go. Here's what Paul says. Jesus visits him and he says, Paul, you need to remember that my grace is always more than enough for you and that my power finds its fullest expression through your weakness. Some of you are, are feeling pretty weak right now and you need to be reminded that, that, you're, that God's grace is enough. You're named by grace and that God's power finds its fullest expression through your weakness. And then what does Paul say? He says, yeah, I surrender. I celebrate. Because of that truth, I celebrate my weakness. For when I'm weak, when I'm surrendered, 
And when I say yes, I have this sense that the mighty power of Christ living in me becomes a portal of God's power. If you think of this, the womb is really a portal of God's power. And God, through the Spirit, now wants your life to be the same, to be a portal of power. And it comes through our weakness. So maybe we become portals this Advent, wombs. May God's word be fulfilled through us by us just simply saying yes. Amen? Let me pray. God, we thank you uh, that this encounter between Mary and Gabriel uh, was recorded for us to to look at every year, to come back to and to remember who you are and what's possible in relationship to you. That no matter how distant and broken and weak and shattered our lives might feel, that your presence in them changes everything. Thank you for your presence this morning with us. As we bring this service to an end, God, would you, um, would your presence fill each of us now and really empower us and equip us to go forth as hope to the world around us. Thank you, Jesus, for your life. And we pray in your name. Amen.